right. Kids are dismissed to Children's Church. Kids up to the fifth grade can make your way on out to Children's Church. They're going to be walking through a little bit of a construction zone there. You might have noticed if you came in through the main entryway or off the parking lot, all the carpet's been removed. And uh, we would appreciate your prayers over the next few weeks while we're uh, doing some projects. We've had some bathroom problems over here, so we're trying to fix those. We are, um, we're planning on matching the carpet to what we have new here in the sanctuary, as well as the other hallway, getting some new paint on the walls over there. And so, uh, but we definitely, with some moving parts, we do covet your prayers on uh, some aspects of the building that will be going on around here. Would you bow with me one more time, and we'll ask for God's blessing as we open his word. Heavenly Father, we would ask that you would clearly be present over the next several minutes as we open your perfect word and are blessed by it. I would ask that you would help me not to get in the way. Help us, Lord, to receive the message that you would have. I do covet and praise the fact of the teaching of the Holy Spirit. And as we request just about every Sunday, I believe that the Holy Spirit will be clearly teaching us in this place. We thank you for your promise of helping us to understand these things. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I know that many of you are sports fans. I had the opportunity yesterday to send a text message to a friend of mine who was at a game. And it looked like his team was going to win, so I kind of sent a congratulations text message to him. And he said, it ain't over till the fat lady sings in his response back. And sure enough, that game that he was attending in the middle part of our state, his team ended up losing unexpectedly. I enjoy sports. I enjoy playing uh, multiple sports. But as far as watching sports, probably the one that I've enjoyed the most in my life has been college basketball, much, especially when I was younger. When I was growing up, um, I was a big University of Illinois fan, and I really enjoyed basketball. So my family, we would watch those games. And Illinois never really did that well, made it to the Final Four in the national tournament one time that I can remember. They never really did that well, but I still always rooted for Illinois, and then I always rooted against another team. Now, it wasn't just a team that was selected randomly. I lived on the Illinois-Indiana line, and there were many people from Indiana that came and worked in my hometown, and many of them were Indiana basketball fans, And many of them were ruthless because Indiana was typically very good for several years in basketball. I know we've got at least one Hoosier in here. And my wife is a Hoosier as well, so i got to be careful. When we look at these two different teams and we look at who I was cheering for, I remember a t-shirt back in the old days that said, I'm rooting for Illinois and whoever's playing against Indiana was kind of the idea. So it's not just that you had somebody you liked, But sometimes you would root against someone. I can remember coming to the end of the the year and the tournament coming up, and I was always glad when a Big Ten team was going far in the tournament. Michigan State often did well, and Michigan often did well, and Ohio State often does well. And I would be happy about a Big Ten team except for Indiana. I did not want Indiana to do well because it was very tied to some mocking that I had been on the receiving end and my uh, dad had been on the receiving end. So that was a part of what I grew up with. If my team did not win, and oftentimes they did not, well, that was it. But I really didn't want that other team to win. I wanted them to lose most of the time. Let me transition and tell you about a story about somebody who knocked on my door not too long ago. 
somebody knocked on my door, and I appreciate people who, um, for their faith, will be dedicated enough to tell others about uh, their faith. This individual, in my judgment, and I've studied through it, is not a follower of Jesus Christ as Jesus established his church today, and we can talk through that later on in more detail. But this person was talking to me, and as they were talking, they had a tagline that they were using to try to draw me to, be, um, to, to go to their faith system, which was different than mine. And they talked about, have you ever wondered, they asked this question, have you ever wondered why there's so many different denominations? Why there are so many different kinds of churches out there? They just can't get along was the message that he was giving. Well, what we'll see in God's word today is that God wants you to have an understanding of certain foundational truths so that you can cheer on other people that share those foundational truths. You can cheer them on even if they differ in a minor area. I'm going to ask you to turn to two places in your Bible. If you would turn to Philippians chapter 1 and hold your place there. Philippians chapter 1, and it's going to be much later in the message that we're going to go there. So just put something, maybe a a ribbon or a paper to mark your place in Philippians 1, and then turn to Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 7, we're going to be talking about the same verses we did last week. And then I'm going to take one more week because I think it's appropriate to talk about this topic of judging. How do we approach judging? And I think there are um, at least three uh, areas that we can give time to for a whole message, and we'll be in one of those today. There in Matthew chapter 7, I went through this in detail as far as verses 1 through 6. If you were not here last week, I'm going to give it to you in really fast form. But this is what Jesus is teaching in uh, Matthew chapter 7 in those first uh, six verses. When we, when we look there, we see Christ starting out by saying, judge not lest you be judged. The first two verses is talking about the judgment that you practice, and that kind of judgment is going to come back on you. And the idea that we said last week is, you are going to want others to be patient with you. You are going to need others to forgive you, and so you need to be constantly becoming increasingly more patient. And you need to be constantly forgiving other people. So that's that idea in that first verse when it comes to judging. In verses 3, 4, and 5, we looked at the negative pattern of judging. And there were these people that Christ oftentimes referred to, the religious leaders. And Christ talks about them and how they would judge thinking, and they had two critical errors, thinking that they were better than everyone else around, and also they were continuing in the sin that was prominent in their life. They thought if they just kept this outward appearance, they were okay, but they continued with sin in their life. And what we find in those verses is the Bible clearly teaches there's a place for judging, but the place for judging that God has given to us, and it's all throughout the scriptures, especially the New Testament, it is to be practiced for the edification of others. That's where we landed last week. We, we, we talked about this idea that you have a responsibility to others in your church family not to allow them to just go off in sin and, and never care about it. But we have a responsibility to hold one another accountable, to love each other, 
and to judge or rebuke, if I can interchange those words, rebuke someone for their edification so they are closer to God. And of course, the foundation of that is the Bible. That's our standard. Verse 6 was kind of a standalone verse we talked about last time. And it had the idea of refusing to counsel or give that loving rebuke um, so much to a person that just continues to reject it. They reject it. They reject it. You're casting your pearls before swine. And so perhaps you need to take a different approach as you go and talk to them. That was the specifics of, uh, of the text. Let me give you the three different messages that we're going to look at. Last time, we talked about judging to help people in your local church. All right? Now, not everybody gets to judge and rebuke everybody else in the church. We focused on this for a bit. You do not have the right to approach somebody and rebuke somebody if you don't have a relationship with them. This is why it's key for individuals to have a group in the church, a community group, some kind of a grow group that they're a part of so that when they're not there for two or four weeks, someone in that group misses them. That's the idea. Or when there's sin that's going on, that person comes to them not because they are the one who has to make sure everybody's keeping the rules, but they go to someone out of love because that person has erred from what the, clearly Bible, te- what the Bible clearly teaches. That was last time. It's not based on opinion, not based on assuming, which we are so guilty of often, but it's based on the Bible. And also, in a church family, we're going to have to leave room. Are you catching this? We have to leave room to allow our love to cover some of those sins. The Bible says we can allow love to cover a multitude of sins, and you're going to have to do that. You cannot go to everybody about everything that you have a problem with. Sometimes you're going to say, well, I don't think this is a detriment to the church or to them. I was bothered by this, but I'm just going to allow it to go. I'm going to forgive them, and I'm not going to bring it up and to their face and make them you know, ask for forgiveness or whatever it might be. There can be a place for approaching someone, no doubt, but sometimes we need to let love cover those sins. Today, we're going to be looking specifically at how we apply judgment to other Christians that are, not, that are not a part of our church. This is very, very important for the sake of evangelism. And oftentimes when we look in the scriptures, we, we go right to Matthew 18. Matthew 18 tells us what we're supposed to do when a brother has offended us. We go to them and ask them to repent. And if they don't, we go with somebody else. And if they still don't repent, then we go before the whole church Well, how do we apply that to people that aren't part of our church? Are our hands tied? Can I make somebody who's not part of my church family? I can't bring them up for church discipline, kick them out of the church, my church. How do I approach that? That's what we're going to talk about today, and it's very, very applicable. Next time, we're going to talk about applying the topic of judgment to those outside the body of Christ, which honestly is what most people mean when they quote that verse, right? Judge not, lest you be judged. So next time, we will uh, use the same six verses for our text, but that will be the direction that we're going. Today, applying judgment to when someone is not in my local church. When approaching this, my mind was racing, and mostly from experience. I shared last time how God has really worked uh, deep within me in this area of judging others. 
Um, I have had a history of legalism in my own life, and there's a place for rules, and I need rules. I need discipline in many areas. But unfortunately, I applied this area of judging others in an unbiblical way that has been very hurtful to others, and most of all, I think it stunted my growth. Because I was expecting others to maybe be exactly like I wanted them to be. And if not, then I really had struggles with that. The devil loves to get believers fighting. And as I thought about this topic, I was thinking about, okay, let's go over the top six ways that Christians divide. Let's talk about that. Erwin Lutzer, the former pastor of Moody Church, has written a wonderful book. About, it's called Doctrines That Divide. And it goes into some history as these key doctrines that we need to pay attention to and that we need to have in our hearts. As I was going over this, I was thinking about the different areas where people that are Christians, but they don't go to church together. Maybe they don't get along. Sometimes they even, can I go back to my first illustration? Sometimes they will root against others. I saw a fellow yesterday who works at another church here in town. And I told him something when he was leaving. And I genuinely meant it. I said, I hope you guys have a great service tomorrow. And they're a different church than ours. They're a different stripe in some ways. We land in some different places. But I genuinely know that pastor and this assistant pastor. And I genuinely hope they have a great day today. The devil loves to get us rooting against somebody sometimes. Different denominations. This is a big one. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these. Let me just mention a few. Denominations is a big one that we will divide on. And one of the best quotes I've ever heard about different denominations was at a conference I was at where the speaker, he totally threw me off guard when he said, we need to remember that when these denominations started, typically there was a very good reason for why they started to hold to some specific fundamental truths of the Word of God. Some other areas that we divide on, Christian standards. I already mentioned that one. Some will judge others if their standard is not as strict as theirs or if it's less strict than theirs. Social issues and politics. You might be comfortable with these areas. You might have a group of people around you that believe just like you. But this is an area that can drive people away from churches. And we need to be very, very careful. Not that we're not studying what we believe and that we don't have firm convictions, but that we do not equate our political stand with the salvation that the Bible teaches. We need to be very, very careful with that. I'll say more about that at the end. This is the only one, this is the only uh, real deeper issue that I threw in this list, and that is predestination versus free will. And many of you might have to look that up. You're not familiar with that. But over the years, the devil has taken these teachings, this working that we have in the church, free will, predestination, and he has taken wonderful godly leaders and put them against each other, arguing about this. You know, there's one topic that actually has, has, has got a little slogan. It's gotten a little two-word phrase that's familiar that people know, and one of the words is wars. Some of us in some churches are fighting a war, over a topic, and the expression is worship wars. The worship wars. Well, let's get in the Bible and see what the Bible says about this. And oftentimes what it comes down to is an opinion or a preference of a style of music or a style of worship. 
We're not going to spend an extended amount of time on any of these areas. Instead, here's what I thought would be the best thing for us to do. I want to walk through some foundational truths that we can use to judge someone else that calls themselves a Christian. Now, when we use that word judge, I'm not using it in a negative way. And so just understand that these are going to be extremely important for you to grab a hold of and for you to take for yourself as you um, look at different churches, as you look at what you believe. I heard an illustration years ago about bank tellers. They are not told to memorize what all the counterfeit types feel like and look like, but instead, what are they told to be an expert on? They're told to be an expert on the real thing. What does that money feel like so you're not getting a counterfeit? What does it look like? Of course, today we have markers. We can just cheat and see if it's a real uh, $20 bill or not. But bank tellers were trained to be able to recognize the false, but more so they were trained to recognize what is real. That's what we're going to get at today. I'm going to give you three foundational truths. Sometimes I see some of you feverishly writing notes, and we're going to put some slides up um, that have a lot of uh, words to them. I've asked our secretary if she would go ahead and type up uh, these foundational truths and she's put them in a nice bookmark form. I made a typo on that bookmark form so you can get it with one mistake that is on it. And if you find, it, find out what that is, I'll give you a prize, that little mistake. But I know these are going to be important for you. So next week I'll have that typo fixed. But there are some of these foundational truth bookmarks right in the foyer as you make your way out. Let's go through these quickly and then we're going to jump to Philippians 1 to see a practical application. Number one, that you need to have, you need to have an unbending belief that salvation is a free gift of God brought to man by grace and received by faith in Jesus Christ who died for our sins. This is a non-negotiable. Be very, very careful that you, that you don't take something minor and tie it back and say somebody is unsaved. That's what this is talking about, salvation. Be careful about that. You need to do your work. But if someone confesses Jesus Christ as their Savior, the Bible teaches us that they are a child of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. This is one unbending foundational truth. The second one, you need to be unbending in your belief that the Bible is God-inspired, it is free of any error, and it is trustworthy. And for every follower of Christ, it is the Bible that stands as your authority for your faith and for living. The Bible is what God has given us. In the past 2,000 years, we are so blessed to have, to have the written word of God. Think of how many Bibles you might have in your house or the access to the different versions on your phone. We are so blessed. And this is one of those areas that we need to say, nothing else will be a higher authority in my life than the word of God. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So an unbending belief that the Bible is God's word and is your, is your authority for your life. And then the last one is a correct understanding of who Jesus is 
and his work. You need to be unbending in your belief that Jesus Christ, and this one's a little bit longer because I just couldn't, I couldn't shorten it much, much more than this. Jesus Christ is the third person of the Trinity. He miraculously took on a human body and he, si- he lived a sinless life performing miracles, proving that he was God. And it was through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and bodily resurrection that he paid for the sins of man. He rose from the dead and ascended to heaven and someday will return in power and glory. Let me read a couple of verses that support this. Acts 2, Acts 2, 22 through 24 says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And then 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4 says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. I don't apologize for spending time going through those foundational truths And when you have the conversation about teaching doctrine, many people will say this line. They'll say, well, it's just not very practical. It's just not very practical. And I won't argue a lot with that except to say this. Are you listening? Those foundational truths, they are what all of the practical is built upon. When you get to the practical, When you get to the evangelism, when you get to the feeding the hungry, when you get to whatever area that you are interested in or that's practical or even the minors, every one of them is built upon these, these truths. And so if you kind of, you know, your eyes kind of glaze over when you come across doctrinal statements like that, it is so important that you have that burned in your heart because then when you get out, into the world, you're going to have all those practical things that will stand on the shoulders of those truths. And there are other doctrines that are very important as well, but those are the three that I want to challenge you with. We have a book. um, It's in our literature rack. It's called This We Believe. It's a little white book. You can read it probably in less than 90 minutes. And it's doctrinal, so it's not super practical. But if you're wanting to um, deepen where you are at, and know why you believe what you believe, I encourage you to pick up one of those books. Everybody who goes through our membership class um, gets one of those, and we ask them to read that. All right, go ahead and turn over to Philippians chapter 1, please. Philippians 1. When we uh, look at Philippians, we understand the Apostle Paul is writing this and we find something right in the beginning that should catch our attention because there are some people who are against Paul. Now, Paul is just a man like you and me, but I'm letting you know right now, if you're going to stand against the Apostle Paul, you really better have done your homework, right? 
You know, I oftentimes say that you can disagree with everybody around you as far as when you're reading the Bible because you have the Holy Spirit as your teacher, but if you disagree with a whole bunch of good, godly men who have studied for a long time, perhaps you might want to slow down and just study that again. There is wisdom in a multitude of counselors. And so if you find yourself the only one who has a certain belief about something in the Bible, perhaps God did not set it up so you're the only one who understands that. In fact, I would say definitely you're not the only one with that message from God and that understanding. So measure as you move in life with good men who you trust. Surround yourself with good Bible teaching. On WMPC, our radio station, there is wonderful Bible teaching every day. It's such a blessing. And the day we live in, you can find your favorite uh, preacher and and be feeding constantly. But you need to study on your own. Here in Philippians chapter 1, we find some folks are opposing the Apostle Paul. And let me read 15, 16, and 17 to us. Where it says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. Now the latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Now let's stop right there and talk about this for a moment. So the Apostle Paul, who is one of my heroes, and hopefully you know his writings very well, he is in jail, and some people were preaching Christ, but they were hoping to cause uh, negativity for Paul when he was in jail. These were not false teachers. He says they're preaching Jesus Christ. And the way we need to interpret that is they're preaching salvation. And so the message was not the problem. The problem was their motivation. And so some people would go to Paul and say, hey man, blow these guys out of the water. You're smarter than these guys. You can put a stop to these guys. There were some people that were preaching in order to get people to follow them. Oh, how attractive power is to men and to women to get people to follow me and that's what's going on here and we find Paul's passionate concern or we find the hill that he is willing to die on and those things will always center around the clear message of the gospel and its truths that relate to it The Apostle Paul would die on the hill of the gospel. Paul says in verse 18, basically, I have decided that I really don't care about their motives, whether it's mixed or bad or indifferent. Every time one of them opens his mouth, Christ is proclaimed, and so don't miss this, so I cheer them on. That's what he's saying. And when you walk out of here, if you can only remember one line, Ask this question, who am I to be cheering on? Can you say this about the efforts of your brothers and sisters in a different kind of church? I don't use poetry too often in my messages, but you'll benefit from this poem. I was shocked, confused, and bewildered as I entered heaven's door Not by the beauty of it all, nor the lights or decor, but it was the folks in heaven who made me sputter and gasp. The thieves, the liars, the sinners, 
the alcoholics and the trash. There stood the kid from the seventh grade who swiped my lunch money twice. Next to him was my old neighbor who never said anything nice. Herb, who I thought was rotting away in hell, was sitting pretty on cloud nine, looking incredibly well. Why nudge Jesus? What's the deal? I would love to hear your take. How did all these sinners get up here? God must have made a mistake. And why is everyone so quiet, so somber? Give me a clue. Hush, child, he said. They're all in shock. No one thought they'd be seeing you. I, before I get to the what you can do of this message, and we're almost done, I just want to encourage you as you walk through this world to know who the real enemy is. This is not an excuse for you not to have convictions. This is not an excuse for you not to study. You need to have these things firm. You need to study even those minor things, the smaller things. Go deep. Swim in the beautiful word of God. But understand that the devil is seeking to get you to cheer against some who are followers of Jesus Christ. It does not mean you sacrifice what you believe to be true. You can encourage them. You can go to them and maybe have a study about it or pray for them. Here's my experience with churches that are doing well. Churches that are focusing on the uh, evangelism of souls, folks getting saved. Churches that do that seem to do well. So around here, we have a wonderful missions program. Folks are saved every month through our missions program here. Around here, we are working very hard to build a healthy church that can help and come alongside parents to raise their kids where they're hearing the Bible taught and the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the past several months, I've had two young people come and say they want to get baptized because they've accepted Christ. And the parents are a huge part of that, but as a church, we're trying to help them be a healthy church. This is a tough area because I grew up in a day where there was a whole lot of evangelism, and it seems like every time we find something that it seems like it works, the devil gets in there. Can you remember that illustration of a chess match between the church and the devil? And we find something that works, we like it, evangelism explosion or the Billy Graham Crusades, or Promise Keepers. We find something that works, and the devil doesn't stop. If he sees it's making a difference, he will get in there and he will change something around. And so we need to not get stuck. We need to understand that we're going to need to continue, even though it seems like what didn't work, or what used to work doesn't work anymore. We don't give up on God's plan. Churches that are doing well are churches that are focusing on saving souls, and for many of you, it's important to you that you go to a church that preaches the Word of God. The Bible is taught and is preached there. And so what can you do? What, what do you want to take, what I want you to take away from this message? Well, three things I'm going to give you. I've only got two on the screen here. But number one, when you study God's Word, you need to keep a love for His people in your heart. I put in there, keep a love for God, because that's kind of a given, but you need to keep a love for God's people in your heart. When you go out in the community, keep a love for God's people in your heart. I was in the grocery store um, two days ago, and somebody came up, and they recognized me. I didn't know who they were, but um, they said, Pastor Jeremy, and we had a conversation in the grocery store over here. 
And I asked him, where do you go to church at? And he told me. And I said, oh, I talked to your pastor just recently. Wonderful man. And I was glad for that. And then came by a lady in the store who I've had a conversation with because she's a clerk there at the store about her faith and she wears a cross on her shirt. And as she's walking by, I said, hey, this, this gal's a Christian too. And she pulled right in and we were talking there for a little bit. You need to understand that you have a mission field of people you need to give the gospel to. But don't start screaming against and putting down those other people who have a correct understanding of these foundational truths but might have a different stand than you in some other ways. You need to love them. You need to genuinely say to them, I hope you have a great Sunday this coming Sunday. And mean that in your heart. Beyond that, here's where the rubber meets the road for some of us. We need to pray that their church grows. Pray they increase. Pray they've got so much money that they don't know what to do with it. Pray that the people are coming to Christ and families are growing. That's where it gets real. Keep a love for God's people. Number two, and we'll see how long I can talk about this one, be on guard for leaders who spend, a ma- who spend major time focusing on areas in the Bible that are unclear. The main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things. And praise God for that. If there is something that seems gray or seems unclear, I'm not telling you not to study through it. I'm not telling you that you can't have a conviction about it. And I think that leaders, much of the time, are responsible for the schism, for the division. And they might not even be able to explain it. And if they ask you to follow them blindly, be on guard. If it seems like the Bible supports very little, the things they talk about a lot, be on guard. And I'm going to give you one more, and then we're going to close with a song. This one's not on the screen, so you might need to write it down. Be very careful about declaring someone not a Christian if they are in a different place than you on a non-foundational issue. This is about one of the most hurtful things that you can do is just assume someone is not saved because they disagree in an area. Be very, very careful with that. If you're not sure if they're saved, just be guarded with that. But don't lead with that. Don't let them think that because they don't belong to your church or your denomination that they're not going to heaven. There is not one church, there is not one denomination that has all the believers in it. There's not. And so understand that when you give this insinuation that if you do not do what I do, if you do not vote the way I vote, if you do not hold the same, same standard that I hold, then you're not going to heaven. You might not say that out loud, but when you start to assume that people are going to hell because of a non-cardinal issue, here's what you're doing. You're rooting against them. I remember going to a professional basketball game years ago and as I was watching these professional basketball players who got paid a check for playing basketball, so that says something about their ability. And I can remember some fans opposing fans and as they're looking at the basketball players yelling this, boo, just like that. They'd hold up signs. I can remember one guy saying to a professional basketball player these words, Try, try to get this idea. He's yelling, you stink, just like that, to a professional basketball player. You know what? I think guys have said that to Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson. 
And Larry Bird, you stink. They don't stink at basketball, right? If you're on a professional basketball team, you don't stink at basketball. You might be the worst player on your team. You might be the worst player in the league. Too often, we love to cheer not just for ourselves, but we want to cheer against somebody else. And what you will see when you walk in your community, Christians outside of your local assembly, and if you can befriend them, if you can believe that they have God's will in mind and they want to see folks come to Christ and they want to see families that are growing together and they want to see evangelism taking place, it's then that you will take down your sign that says boo and you'll put up your sign that says bless you. Bless you. You need to be in God's word. You need to know what you believe and why you believe it and, and get crazy in there. Know about it, but then also know what is the most important thing. What are these things that God wants us to divide over? And what are the things that he wants us to say about somebody else? I am cheering you on. Let's pray. Gracious Father, the patience that you have shown to me, to us as a group here, is amazing. God, I thank you that you did not strike me with lightning years ago. I thank you that, uh, that you've been, your long-suffering is incredible. And God, as I continue to see your patience, I want to thank you for that. And I want to ask that you would allow me to learn, that you would allow us as a church family to learn to show love to those outside of our walls. Those that do not have Jesus Christ, they need salvation. They need the gospel. They need to hear about your son and what he did. And those that do know Jesus Christ, even though they're in a different place, they need us to love them. How the devil rejoices when he can divide and he thinks he's going to conquer. God, would you allow us to be creative? We thank you, God, that you've loved us, that we can love you, and we can love others. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, I'm going to give you a chance to pray. Two suggestions I'll give. If you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, maybe you've heard of Jesus, you've heard of Christmas, you've heard of church, but you've, it's never been real to you that Jesus Christ died on a cross, not for anything that he did, but just to pay for your sins so that you would not have to go to hell and be separated from God. And Jesus died, and we can ask him to forgive us of our sins, to make us his children. You can pray right now, thank God for his sacrifice of his son, ask him to forgive you of your sins and make you one of his children. And he will do that. Today can be the day of your salvation if you've never done it before. And then for others, we're not going to give a long, long time for you to pray. But you might have somebody you need to pray for, somebody you need to go and ask for forgiveness, or somebody you need to approach next time you see them and say, I'm cheering you on. I'm cheering on your pastor. I'm cheering on your church. Take a moment to talk to God.
Amen. Amen. Can I ask you to take a songbook? I wanted to close by singing Amazing Grace. You might not need the songbook. I believe it's 343, right? 343. 343. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing Amazing Grace. verse when we've been there 10,000 years. Sing with me. When we've been there 10,000 years Christ shining as the sun we know that God this